0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: England's triumph in Euro 2022 has captured the hearts of the nation – and it seems like it could lead to lasting change in women's soccer in that country and beyond. But while many are making comparisons to the United States win in the 1999 World Cup, there are some key differences as well. And Meg Linhan is here to talk about some of them. From The Athletic, I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Everyday for Thursday, August 4th. All right, Captain Obvious here, reporting news from days ago. England are European champions in a thrilling game in front of sold-out Wembley Stadium. 87,000, over 87,000, watched the England women beat Germany 2-1 in extra time to take home their first major trophy. It was loud. It was raucous. The game was awesome. It was also really emotional. And as you might imagine, people are talking about how the impact of that moment will last for years to come. And one of those people is my colleague here at The Athletic, Meg Linehan. Meg... I think we can both agree that Euro 22 as a whole was a Euro 22 as a whole was a really, really fun tournament and the atmosphere at all the England games were really good. But as you were watching that final with all that noise, um, all of the great plays that we saw, the goals, the back and forth, what was going through your mind?
2: I mean, well, first of all, honestly, the fact that I wasn't there was a little <laughs> a little tough, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. But I mean, what is exciting, and we're going to get into this, is that the U.S. Women's National Team is heading to that exact same stadium, and it's going to be probably just as sold out and just as loud. So we're going to get a second crack at it. But, you know, I think what's been really interesting, there was this immediate comparison in that game. Chloe Kelly <laughs> scores the go-ahead goal in, in extra time hesitates for to make sure that the goal actually stands, like it's not going to get reviewed, right? And then does the Brandy Chastain full-on celebration. And so I think everybody kind of instantly goes, okay, like this is kind of their 99. They're hosting a tournament, right? Um, we, we know it's going to have these ripple effects. I mean, Brandy Chastain has even said, like, this is the moment that changes the culture of the game. Right. Like you cannot replicate what hosting and winning a tournament on home soil is going to do for the game in England. But, you know, I think two main things were running through my head is like, yeah, the 99 comparison is legit. But I think there's also kind of some shades of the U.S. Women's National Team in 2011 as well. And just that that to me was kind of the tournament that kicked off the modern era of the U.S. Women's National Team, like the last decade, you don't have wins in 2015 and 2019 without what happened in 2011 as this kind of big game-changing moment for the U.S. Women's National Team. But I think the other part of it too is that, you know, we can talk about these comparisons and the parallels to 99 and and 2011, but now we have this, and it is really funny that we have 99, 11, 22 now. And this kind of sequence, like it's a perfect sequential set of numbers, Um, but it's going to live on as its own thing, as its own moment. But it is going to have, uh, I think, a global ripple effect in terms of lifting a lot of people across the global game and not just having it. It's obviously going to have this huge, massive impact in England, but it's going to impact the game here in America. It's going to impact the game across Europe. It's just really going to it's going to force a lot of people to up their game because all of a sudden England is going to get a lot, a lot, a lot of attention.
1: Well, first of all, before I go any further, I think we should make advanced plans to just nail everything down and don't do anything in 2033, because clearly there will be a major, major, major women's soccer event happening then. We can count on it now. We have the precedent. Uh, Meg, you've had basically a front row seat in multiple roles to so much of the growth of women's game in this country starting in 99. You've talked before about how that was sort of the trigger event for you as it was for so many people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the 2011 uh, comparison is interesting as well. We'll get to that a little little bit later. And you have a piece out for The Athletic right now that talks about sort of how all these things could be at play in in England's case and uh, how maybe they might be different. So... I think in one sense, the similarities to 99 are obvious. You mentioned some of them, it's a major tournament, hosted at home, huge stadium, uh, winning goal, shirt off, celebration, all these things. But what are some of the differences that you see? Like how is where England is in women's football right now different from where the USA was in women's football when they won in 1999?
2: I mean, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, England can kind of take its love of football for granted right we were not taking that for granted in 99 it was not yeah. any sort of like you know i played soccer growing up right but there was not this kind of clear path right like we're just in first of all a completely different era of the growth of the game and and i wanted to really highlight just really the level of domestic club football is just i think on a very different level than where we were at in 99 what what is interesting about the two comparison points i wanted to make with 99 and 11 Both of those events here in the U.S. were kind of used to launch things, really, like 99 begets WUSA, the first women's pro league in the U.S., which I was involved in as an an intern in the first season. In 2011, you literally have WPS, the second league, kind of falling apart as you get this big (laughs) breakthrough moment, right? And then you have this weird gap year and then the formation of the NWSL. So there is kind of enough momentum to get... Like, I don't think the NWSL happens if we don't get 2011 as a World Cup, even though it's not necessarily like a direct connection. There's enough steam that happens to kind of get the NWSL going and to force, I think, U.S. soccer's hand into saying, like, we're going to back this league. So I think the big, the 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 very obvious thing is we're just, like, in a different state of the game. And so what I think has been really interesting is that we're putting all of these Euro success moments in conversation with all of the other big kind of record breaking stuff that's been happening in the women's game. Like you look at Barcelona attendance numbers, you look at the growth of the women's champions league and how much more accessible it is. The fact that we were able to also watch Euros on ESPN, the production quality was extremely high. They brought in, you know, Emma Hayes and Steffi Jones, like, People who know the game and, and can talk about it well. So I think we're just, we're in like a different level of the stratosphere at this point in terms of growth of the game. And so now, when you get to these kind of big acceleration moments, right? So much more of the recipe for success is now in place for 22 to be that big growth moment because all of the stuff in the larger ecosystem of the women's game has finally kind of been built in a way where it's actually going to be able to play off of each other in a way that's way more helpful than, you know, in in 99 and 11, we're using it here in the U S to try to build that infrastructure. It's finally here. And so this is really, I think it's going to be an interesting case study uh, for a lot of reasons in terms of not just how it impacts other countries, but also I think how, maybe a place like england that has a little bit more infrastructure already in place and already has I, there's kind of like four key ingredients that i talked to that are, is going to allow them to maybe like truly just like flip the switch and go yeah on on the professional domestic level you know at the club level and we don't necessarily have that here well, in the
1: us a a big a big one of those uh, you know pieces of infrastructure is obviously the women's super league. Um, it has been growing just based uh, on my own sort of like general impression. Like the, this, this is a league that's getting more and more players to come over. Uh, more and more uh, club teams with recognizable names and recognizable brands are investing more and more money. Slowly, in some cases, but uh, what sort of things? does the Super League and its clubs have to do to really take advantage of this moment? You talk a little bit in the piece about how NWSL and other uh, women's pro leagues that have existed throughout sort of have struggled sometimes to take full advantage of really deep or really uh, uh, World Cup runs by the U.S. Women's National Team. What do you think the WSL will have to do to really capitalize on this moment? Uh, And how are their challenges going to be different than say NWL or WPS or WUSA. Yeah, <laughs> et- I mean, et I think
2: what's going to be really interesting is just you know here in the U.S. we tend to play through major tournaments, right? And so like you have players trying to come back, right? So you you do get this like immediate burst of interest generally in the U.S. following a major tournament, and then by the time the next season rolls around, you don't necessarily see those numbers carrying through. But what I think is going to be really interesting to watch about England is the fact that they have a whole month, basically, to build between winning Euros and then the start of the WSL season. So, first of all, two things have already happened, too. You have this kind of immediate launch of, like, everyone i think has been really good at the messaging of like oh did you like watching that game guess what it's super easy for you to not just necessarily watch the women's super league but attend games right and mm-hmm. it's very cheap and affordable and and all of this kind of stuff but you know they put the u.s women's national team game on sale too and we'll, we'll talk about that obviously like huge success on the national team front right so the, now the goal is okay we have to we have to pull all of these eyeballs and say Okay, it's not just England players necessarily either, right? There are players from other nations who played in Euros who are on these teams, and you can follow them week in, week out. Um, but they have a full month, not just to say, like, buy your tickets, but to, like, actually educate people on how the league might work for new-time fans. And it's not just trying to dump them in halfway through the season. They're, they get a whole month, the start of a season, you get the full narrative, right? Like, we don't get to enjoy that over right. here and I think it's going to be a really interesting case study of I think they're they're going to do some significant numbers because you get a full month to just hit people, hit people, hit, hit people and say these are the players you need to learn about, these are how you're going to watch the games now I do think the one really interesting difference is I'm, I'm tempting fate by bringing this up. Like, we do get kind of a full season schedule in the NWSL, and we will set aside complaints about when that drops. But sure. that is not the case in England. They confirm, like, two months of games at a time. It's very strange. So, like, long-term planning is a little bit harder there, and you can buy season tickets and all that kind of stuff. But if you're trying to, like, as an American, say, oh, I want to go for a game, you know, at X month or whatever. Right. It, it is still a little weird. You can't really plan out months in advance. They have, like, September and October fixtures kind of set. And then, so they just kind right. of, like, drop the schedule in chunks, which I find really weird. But that is, I think, really the only, you know, in terms of all of the pros they have right at the moment in being able to build to a season with a potential huge number of new eyeballs. Like, they've, they've really got kind of this perfect storm going in terms of... TV deals, they've got revenue already in place. They have a month. Right. Like, it's going to be really interesting to watch some of these numbers come in at the start of the season.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash Courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card.
1: Do you think that this could have a ripple effect on the NWSL? Uh, and oh, sort it of, is. and And having, because in terms of making the WSL more competitive on a commercial basis, like 100%. right alongside.
2: And I mean, I think we're already seeing, you know, like we saw a whole bunch of NWSL folks go over for Euros. We've seen them go over for Women's Champions League too. Like, the NWL is not going to just get to sit on its little butt and say, like, oh, we're the best league in the world anymore. They're just right. not. Like, I think the argument still is valid that the NWL has the most parity across any league, but now it's. I just think it's really hard for, let's say, Chicago Red Stars to compete with an arsenal, right? Like, they have established brands, right? And, and to be fair, like, you do have this kind of top, Chunk Like, a you know, it's generally four or five teams that are really competing in the Women's Super League. So, again, I do think parity is a legit, like, advantage, advantage that NWSL yeah. has. But, I mean, the NWSL, if every single person in the league is not looking at what Barcelona has been doing, what the WSL is about to do, the growth of Champions League, the accessibility of these games, the fact that Americans can now watch them. And potentially have, you know, now multiple loyalties. But, you know, if you're going to choose between maybe like a Kim Little OL Reign jersey and a Kim Little Arsenal jersey, which one are you going to pick? Right. So it is going to become a little bit more of a money competition. And I think also attracting and retaining talent like you know, players have spoken to me on, on full-time, Rachel Daly, saying it's really hard for international players to come play in the NWSL because of the way that this schedule works right now. And those are going to have to be the logistical things that they not just take care of, but legitimately make attractive for international talent. And you can't just hope and pray that Angel City or San Diego Wave currently on the top of the table or a Portland is going to be enough to pull people over to want to play here.
1: Well, let's come back a little bit to the international side of things. Uh, Last question for you here, Meg. The U.S. and England have announced that they'll be playing a friendly at Wembley Stadium on October 7th. This is obviously going to be a huge game. It's already sold out. Um, What do you think the U.S. approach will be to that game? Because it strikes me that in addition to – all of uh, the experiences that England have had in Euro 22, they've had tons of really competitive games against really, really good teams. They've had this great cultural moment. It seems like the momentum could not possibly be, be more with them. And they're going to have home field
2: advantage. And, in front they'll, of have, like, and they'll have like eighty-seven thousand screaming people. Yeah.
1: On the other side, you have the U.S., which, yes, won the CONCACAF qualifying uh, tournament, but it's not the same level of competition mm-hmm. that I think England faced in the Euros. They're going through a little bit of a transitional moment still with uh, with a lot of their squad. There are still a lot of roles to be uh, firmed up here. What's, what's their approach going to be for this game, do you think? Is the U.S. actually going to be at a disadvantage here against England for what seems like the first time maybe ever? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they will. I I think that's fair to say that they're going to be at a disadvantage and it's not necessarily a bad thing just because I think there's a really big difference between what England has to do this summer into next summer, right? Like it's very different to say we're a team that needs to peak for Euros and then a year later, I mean, they have to peak basically three years in a row, right? Which I think is a very tall ask for a team. Yeah. Whereas the U.S. does kind of get to go through that actual cycle process, even though, again, it was delayed. Like, England has a really tough kind of ask <laughs> ahead of them for, like, three, you know, potentially three major tournaments, right? Whereas the U.S. gets to build to 2023. And so, you know, Vlako Andonofsky, when I asked him in Mexico, like, are you ready to play in a World Cup? And he says, no, not right. Like, we're, we're at where we should be at. Like, he got a lot of of pushback for that answer but that's honestly the answer that I think you want to hear because why should the US be peaking right. at, at this particular moment the the level of competition in CONCACAF is not like the level of competition at, at the Euros and I think that's fair enough to say and absolutely the US got like a legitimate test honestly the first one they've had all year against Canada in the final and I mm-hmm. think they lived up to that test finally but I think the big question is going to be for the U.S. of, you know, if you go over to Europe and you play in Europe, first of all, that's going to be great development for the team. Mm-hmm. The expectation is, of course, going to be a win. But do you actually get more out of it with a with a draw or a loss? Maybe you're going to get a lot of really panicked people calling for Black Andonofsky's head. But, like, I do think that... They're just kind of in two different places as a team, but also the U.S. women's national team is never going to look at this as a, like, they'll talk about it, but the goal is going over and saying, like, no, we're going to prove a point. Like, we're not going to let England think that we're better than us.
1: Now, Meg, granted, we're months away from this game. We don't know the squads yet. We don't know anything other than that. It's happening and where it's happening. Any predictions? (laughs) I
2: I was actually on a a call this morning because we were talking about attendance stuff and I was joking how I wanted a 2-2 draw just for both (laughs) narrative purposes, but also so we would hopefully get some good goals, but also like both fan bases could maybe be like at a tie (laughs) for it. Like we're not going to get a final answer, hopefully, (laughs) until because I think it's going to be more interesting, honestly, to get some of these these bigger questions, you know, I, I do think that um, they're having conversations with Spain for the second game. It does probably look like Spain will be the second game. And, you know, I, I just ultimately think that what has been really interesting, I just remember going to, to France in 2019 for the World Cup and everybody, including myself, thinking like this, this tournament is going to be way more competitive, right? And that's not really how it turned out. And so I think this game is maybe going to be the first taste of like, are we really going to get maybe a more competitive tournament at the top in 2023? And personally, like, that's better for the game, if that's what we get.
1: I can't wait for this game. I think it's going to be super fun. And I know that you are too. And we'll have you back on the show uh, probably many times before that, but certainly uh, just before October 7th. Until then... Meg, thank you so much for coming on Soccer Every Day today.
2: Thank you for having me, as always.
1: Thank you so much again to Meg Linehan for coming on. If you want to hear more from her, please subscribe to her show, Full Time with Meg Linehan. It's available wherever you get your podcasts and on The Athletic if you prefer to listen ad-free like I do. On that show, she has conversations with people from all around the world of women's soccer, and it's definitely worth a listen. Next up, your TV guide for today. All times are Eastern as usual. Two games to keep an eye on here tonight. In the Copa Libertadores, in the corner final, first leg, Atletico Paranense versus Estudiantes. That is on BN Sports at 8.30 p.m. in both the United States and Canada. In Liga MX at 10 p.m., Atlas takes on Queretaro. That is on VIX Plus in the United States. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, where you can listen ad free. You can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathleticcom soccer every day. Before we go, I want to leave you with something special. Over on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, producer Sophie Penny put together a great montage of some of the best moments from an outstanding Euro 2022 tournament. I wanted you all to hear it too. Now, this montage appears at the end of their show that was just posted after the final of Euro 2022. It includes interviews with some of the England players, recordings from within the stadium. You hear from fans. The emotion of the moment really, really comes through. They do some great analysis of the game itself. Uh, With the WSL season getting underway in a month, I definitely recommend subscribing to that show to keep track of everything that's happening over there. Once again, that's the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. It's available on The Athletic and wherever you get any of your podcasts. All that said, we'll close with that montage today. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.
0: As we record Wednesday, the 6th of July, the opening day of the Women's Euros 2022. Main story being that we won't get to see the Spanish megastar Alexia Porteus at this tournament she's out with a ruptured ACL. England's Euros got off well to a nervy start.
2: Kirby. Kirby. Is this a moment?
0: instruction.
2: splendid.
0: And remember it's only her second match in the national team and it's on the European Championship and it's the first match. So it's incredible and, and uh, we've all seen how talented she is. England scored the most goals of any team ever in a Euros
2: game, men or women. Eight goals. I still don't quite know what to say about it. You know, every time Bess scored, she kept looking over and I was like standing on my chair. Billy Blank has never seen more football in her life and she was shooker.
0: I didn't envy them having to play in those temperatures today. Yeah, I'm ready for my ice bath, Kelly. I don't know about you another player to add to our acl team francis marie antoinette cototo italy it must be said i mean finishing bottom of the group you have to say been probably the biggest disappointments of this tournament even more so than the norway who obviously crashed out earlier than we expected serena viedman out with covid didn't really matter as it turned out
2: england march into the quarterfinals in frightening form Surely, yes, Northern Ireland have scored. Northern Ireland have a goal in international competition football. What an opportunity, what a moment. You were were there at the first time that they qualified for the major tournament, so huge. I think they will be really proud of spells. Space opening up for Georgia Stamway.
1: Coming up, Germany pop up
0: with another win. Saved by Everard, and what an important save that was as well. Bouncy Castles for rent. That's her company that does that. No. It was hard to see Viviana Miedema. She was teared up. They all had this wish you know, to defend uh, their European title.
2: Last semi-final, I, th- I think France v Germany is going to be so, so difficult to call. Yeah, 10 years of making quarterfinals never further, and now they have. Coming up,
0: Alex Pops on Fire. News flash this evening England will play against the eight time champions, Germany, on Sunday night. Da, da, da. my goals! It is
2: him, and it is deep.
0: Oh, England have just won the Euros, their first major trophy, and on home soil as the hosts.
2: I literally don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight, guys. Proud to be English.
1: I can't tell you
2: how proud I am.